I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. Happy New Year and welcome back to the Be You Find Happy podcast. New Year's Eve, I had the incredible opportunity to sit down with Dr. Mel Pender and his wife, Debbie, and talk all things the expression of hope. How do we really set goals, achieve our goals, avoid our negative self-talk, and achieve success? Guys, he is a two-time Olympian a war hero, Vietnam veteran. He's worked for the NFL, for the NBA, and now he's traveling around the world at 82 years old and speaking to the youth of America about how to set goals and achieve them. I can't think of a better New Year's Day, season two, episode one, Be You Find Happy podcast than this one. Thanks so much for being here. Please click, click, click the button subscribe. And I look forward to a year full of being you and finding happy in 2020. Thanks for coming back. Good morning. This is Dr. Mel Pender speaking. I am so happy to speak with you. This is Michaela. <laughs> How are you doing? Good morning. Doing really good. And I, you know, happy New Year's Eve to you. Right, same to you. Same to you. It's a pleasure to I, hear your voice. I, I really couldn't think of a better out the year of the BU Find Happy podcast and uh, start, you'll be kicking off a new year in a new season for this podcast. So I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so, so grateful and I can't wait to dive in and and learn all things about you. Thank you. I heard your program, your uh, podcast last week. And that must be your lovely wife. It is, Debbie. Yes, she's right here. (laughs) I'm so glad you were able to join us as well. Yes, it's exciting. I mean, it's going. We're coming on a new, exciting year. Coming into twenty twenty is so much fresher and brighter, and so full of insight than twenty nineteen. Oh was. yes, I totally agree. Totally. How How about we get started by you guys just giving the listeners a little bit of background on on who you guys are and and what you're doing and what you've got going on. And and I know Mel, you have so much. Um, so many great things in in your life experience. So um, if you could just kind of give an overview of, of everything that got you where you are today. Well, you know, today, you know, I just had my uh, 82nd birthday and uh, and we are portraying. Happy our birthday. Own. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't look 80. I don't look 82, but uh, sometimes I feel it. <laughs> but uh, we are, <laughs> well, actually this this is a year of, uh, we're really promoting my book, The Expression of Hope. Uh, that my wife uh, and I wrote and uh, helped with Arlene. She has been such a fantastic uh, person to help us put this uh, this program together. I, I have been doing a lot of speaking and and I, I really enjoy speaking to young people because they need so much help today. And also speaking to you know different uh, corporations and, and different uh, different uh, fundraisers in, in Atlanta area. But uh, well, you know, it, it came to be uh, because my wife and I had said, um, we need to do something about your life. We need to tell the story because you have so much, to, you, have, you have done so much and so much to, to tell. 
and, and to help people, you know, not only young people, but people uh, about hope, uh, how my dreams and hope to be something, do something great in my life, which, you know, I grew up back in the 50s and the 60s and actually before I was born in 1937. <laughs> so I've seen a lot. And, but, wow. um, but hope is, is something that I always hope to be, do something great in my life, which God has given me the opportunity to do that. And this whole segment of, of my book uh, going forth is about hope, how people can, if they want to do something bad enough and hope to do something bad enough, you know, if their dreams come true is to, is to, is to dream and, and those dreams that come true, not just sit back and say, I hope I could do this, but you just got to get out there and do it. I, I love that. Um, actually, today, New Year's Eve, every year, I do what is called a vision board. I don't know if you're familiar with them. And um, I really just kind of lay out my hopes and dreams for the year. And this year, um, I was out at, the, at the, the market getting the poster board to make my vision board. And my son, who's eight, said he wanted to do it as well. And I, I loved that he was jumping on board with this idea that you know, we can have dreams and, um, and we can hope for, for better for ourselves and, and we can go out there and we can get it. I, I love that. Uh, tell me a little bit about, so, so you've been in Vietnam, you served in Vietnam, you've been an Olympian, you've worked for the NFL. Um, tell me a little bit about your journey through all of these really, really, you know, intense life experiences. Can can you tell me a little bit about, did you want to draw these things into your life or were they things you felt you needed or were they just kind of, you know, journeys you were on and then you found yourself staring at an opportunity? What, how did, how did these things unfold for you? Well, it started when I was, when I was young, uh, you know, my mother and father divorced when I was like 10 years old and we moved to a, from a little town called Dalton, Georgia. And, we um, to Atlanta we moved to live with my grandma, my grandparents. Yeah, my father had my my grandfather was was my everything. In other words, he taught me everything about uh, about life, how to be a gentleman, how to be a, a gentleman as a young kid, as a boy, how to respect women, and 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 how to uh, serve God and believe in God. Because he was a he didn't learn how to read till he till he was three. No, I think he had a third grade education. Wow. But he learned how to read reading this Bible. And, and the thing about it is I always wanted to do something great um, to, for my parents and my grandparents. And, and one day I was with my buddies at, you know, it was, you know, I, we hang out on the block on the corner, we call it back in the day. And we didn't have much back then. We had a little, little restaurant uh, that we go shoot pool. And on Friday nights, all the teenagers go up and they had a little jukebox and a little, little pot belly stove, they call it. But you know, that's a little round stove where you put coal in to keep warm. <laughs> yeah, we call it a pot belly stove. Wow. And the thing about it is everybody could dance. We had some great dancers. I was a great dancer, and we always had little contests with the best dress. And the police came up there. They used to come up, and you see things, some of the things the police do today, they did it back in the day, too. They always yeah. come and their lights off at night, jump out of their car and jump on and try to get the biggest guys and, you know, around in the group and beat up on them. So I ran home one night so fast and I told my parents, they asked me what was wrong. I was breathing, I was sweating, I was dirty. And because I had fallen down, uh, cause I cut through the backyard at some people's houses and and uh, it just scared me to death the way, you know, they did that. And I told yeah. them one day I'd make them proud of me. And 
And that, you know, I didn't know I could run track until I was 25 years old. I never tried track wow. in my life. I played, played football at a little school we had, which wasn't much. much. The school we went to, we, after we moved from Dalton, which was a great school, uh, moved to Dalton, we had a school we had to get taxes to drive us to a place called Shamley, which is like five miles from where we lived at, or maybe a little bit farther. We had three classrooms in one, and, and three classes in one classroom. And then they found a beautiful school in Linwood Park. It's, that's in Atlanta, outskirts of Atlanta, which is called DeKalb County. And they built a little long cement block building with uh, little pot belly stoves we had in the corner with one of the stock pipes out of one of the class, other window pane, and concrete floors and no running water. And the toilet was an outhouse, maybe 50 meters from the school. That's what we had. That's all we had. And, but we had great teachers that, you know, they, they, they taught us to, you know, they, to, 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 to learn, to, you know, to, to be somebody. You can, just because you go to a school like this and you don't have things that other people have, you can be just as good as those people in those big homes that right. you see. Right. And, and I used to caddy. I used to caddy golf bags. And I used to walk through these neighborhoods about a mile and a half to the golf course. And I see these big homes and the cars and the big cars. And, and I said, one day... I'm going to own a big home and I'm going to have a nice car, not knowing I was going to do this. You know, I, I did so much when I was a kid. I mean, you know, I, I did foundations for homes, worked in service stations. I did everything in order to make money to, you know, to buy my own clothes. My parents couldn't afford to do that. Right, right. But living in those conditions just made me stronger. You know, it made me stronger. My grandfather told, used to tell me, never hate. He used to love everybody. Everybody's not the same. He said, uh, be all you can be. He says, always be the best. He said, be the best. And what I'll never forget, he says, if you sleep on the floor on one side of the room and you have another person sleeping on the floor on the other side of the room, he says, make sure your side shine better than the one on, on the other side. <laughs> and he, that's how he talked. You know what I mean? And, and that's the way, you know, he had that only third grade education. That's how he would talk. And he would say, listen. And he would kind of sing his, his, his words. and. And he, and he did that one day. My buddy was sitting on the porch and he was telling us, trying to give us a little uh, story, uh, giving us stories about his life and how hard it was for him, how he had to work on a farm and, and how he uh, didn't, had only had a third grade education, couldn't go to school because he had to help the family. And he said, but you listen to people around you and you listen to people that's older than you. And he said, read, he would say. He said, read everything. He said, because you learn if you read and, and listen to other people that had the experience that you had things that you've gone through in your life, you're going to go through the same thing that I went through. Some of the things I went through, but not like all the things I went through. He said, but if you listen, you can learn a lot. And, and he would say, do your math. He would say arithmetic. He wouldn't say math, arithmetic. I said, oh. <laughs> and my buddy would say, what, the, what is your grandfather talking about? But, he, no, but you, you listen to those things and, and, and they live with you for the rest of your life. I think about that now when I go speak to kids. I tell him how he talked. I, I tell him how he would sing his, his, some of his words when he wants you to really listen to him. But, you know, I, I, I was, always wanted to be in the military because my grandfather, my father was in the Navy. And, and I, I'm, I, I saw this movie called What the Hell in Back by Artie Murphy. A little guy with short and stature like me and from, had about nine peop, uh, uh, family members, brothers and sisters, and his father left the family. And he went in the military and, and he came out a hero. He won the Bronze Star, the Medal of Honor. Then he started making movies. And I wanted to be just like him. I said, if he can do this, I can do that. And uh, 
So when I was 17, I joined the military. And well, wh- in the military... One of, uh, one of the things that I love is uh, a couple of things that you jotting down um, is one that you're, you know, you're carrying on your grandfather's legacy. And I really feel like um, I just, I just celebrated my 40th birthday. Um, old thinking about what is the legacy that I want to leave behind? You know, what, what stories, because that's really all that is, is the people that remember us. But so I love that um, you, you're still carrying on those stories from, from your grandfather. And you could you know, look at all of these, you could look at these, these homes and, um, and these, and these cars and you can hope and dream and go after it. Or you could have taken a different approach. And I, and I think a lot of people get caught up in the idea that they can't. Um, or not believing that they can. And so how did you overcome that? How did you decide that? Uh, where did you find that inner will to, to, to go after that, that better life, that greater well, life? Well, you know, when I joined the Army, um, you know, Army just had, just had uh, uh, integrated. It was still seg- just it was segregated up until 1960. Uh, I'm sorry, 1950. And... Um, I'm in the army in 1955, and it was still desegregating the military when I, in 1955. And um, the things that the things that I, I, I would that I saw uh, on my way to the to the to the my basic training, um, how I felt because I wore the military uniform of, the, of my country that I could be different than any other black man because I was in that uniform. But we stopped in. Athens, Georgia, where the University of Georgia is to for a uh, rest stop and um, I had to go to the bathroom. But I looked out the window and I saw colored restrooms and I saw white restrooms and and I said, I'm in the army now, I should be able to go in the front door. But I didn't get off I didn't get off the bus. I went till I got to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, but I tell you it was tough because I was really had to go to the bathroom. So when I almost went in my clothes, but it, it was a thing that I I said, I'm going to, I'm going to have something one day. And so even in the military, you know, it wasn't peaches and cream either. It it still was segregated. Segregation was there. It was discrimination in the military. And I, but I used the system. I didn't fight the system. In other words, I did what I had to do to help me and make me better. And I would look in magazines and I see, I would see these homes, you know, these beautiful homes, these magazines, these cars. And in my uh, wall locker, I would put them inside, paste them inside of my wall locker and say, this, this, is, this is my dream. This is my goals. It's- I like that. You were doing a vision board in 1955. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love yes. it. Yes. <laughs> I, I was dreaming because I, I want, I, I, you know, I always, always liked family too. You know, I got married when I was 16. Amazing. I don't know whether you read that or not, but my high school girlfriend got, a high school girlfriend got pregnant. And, I, I, you know, they said you can't be in love at 16, but. Uh, Nat King Cole had a song, uh, you know, too young to fall in love. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, I can say it was love, maybe puppy love, but the thing about it is I was not going to leave my family desperate. Like I saw, like I was seeing, I'm sorry. Like I was seeing, uh, when I was at home, 
guys would have to get these young girls pregnant and wouldn't take care of them. They said, well, let the welfare take care of them. And I wasn't going to do that. Mm. You know, I, I went through that with, and, you know, with my father divorcing my mom and mom making $16 a week to take care of my, my sister and I and how tough it was for us. And, and I went in the military. That's another reason I went in the military, to take care of my family. And so I had to work hard in order to accomplish those goals and those dreams that I had made when I was back in the day that I was going to have a nice home, a nice family, a nice car. And I was going to do everything I could to make those dreams come true. And I did get a nice car. You know, I had my family with me when I traveled. We had a nice place to live. Military helped do that. And, 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 and my dreams also to go to college and to make my mom proud of me. I, I told her one day I was going to make her proud. And that, that was one of the things that I wanted to do is go to college. And, and I went, uh, went to the Olympics when I was an enlisted man. I made the Olympic team. I didn't run track till I was 25 in Okinawa. Uh, I'll tell you what happened there. I uh, was the fastest runner on the football team. And the coach said the United States, United States uh, uh, is training for the Olympics in Tokyo in 1964. And you're the fastest guy on our team. And the Japanese that's training for the Olympics in Tokyo will be coming to Okinawa for a warm-up meet. And we want the Americans to participate. And I said, Coach, I don't know anything about money on the track. He said, go to the supply room, pick up some shoes and some equipment, and I'll take you down to the <laughs> <laughs> He said, just do what they do. Watch what they do. And when the gun goes off, you go. I said, okay. Wow. So I, I, was, I dug two holes in the crown, and the gun went off. They went off. I said, oh, well, I better go now. And, I better uh, go now. <laughs> and I caught them about 50 meters from the, from the finish line, and I won my first track meet wow. in 100 meters. And, and the football season was over. That's when the, the track team uh, uh, started. And, and I was on the track team and I was undefeated in 100 and 200 meters. And I was sent to Tokyo, of all places, for R&R. They gave us seven days to, to, to what you call R&R, rest and recuperation, rest and recuperation. And I saw all the buildings and, and the big structures going up for the 1964 games. And I said, I'm coming back to the Olympics. Wow. I'm coming back. And plus, I met this Japanese girl named Monaco Yokomoto. Yokomoto. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I didn't know. I just met her. Last night I was there. So I'm coming back to Tokyo so I can see Monaco. Okay. So uh, I went back and I didn't, I went back to Fort Bragg and, and I, I got out of the military because I had schools like UCLA, Southern Cal, Fresno State, San Jose State. All these people wanted me to come to school, all these track coaches because I had ran 9 5 and 100. And, um, Wow. So I said, I was going to go to Clark College in Atlanta, and I had a scholarship for Clark. And I said, well, I can't go to school. I got a wife and a child, a baby. I can't go to college. So I enlisted, and I was sent to Korea. And in Korea, I read about the Army track team, and I rolled up to the sports branch, and they gave me two hours a day to train. When I came back to the 82nd Airborne at Fort Bragg, and I was sent to a training camp, and that's where I really learned how to run it. I had a coach named Coach Lipscomb that really taught me the techniques and, and how, how to run so you became an Olympian while you were in the military. It was all in the military. Yes. Wow. I'm getting, I'm getting there right now. So I made the Olympic team. I beat some of the, I beat, I beat some of the best runners in the world. Bob Hayes and I was the top sprinters in the world in 1964. I was 27 years old. The oldest sprinter in the history of track and field to run as fast as I ran and to make the Olympic team. Right. Yeah, I, I made, you were like nearly 30. Yes. I was 27. Wow. And Tokyo, yeah, I was picked to be in the top three, but I pulled a muscle 
freak the accident happened, but but it punched me in the stomach and my side and tore muscles around my rib casing. So I hope you got him back. Under- Did you get him back? No, no, we were just back. <laughs> no, he was buddy of mine. Busting around. <laughs> <You're funny. laughs> so the coach, the doctor said, "You can't run now." I said, "I'm going to run if I had to crawl down." I mean, I, I'm 27. I probably won't be able to come back to the next Olympics. So he gave me some injections, and I end up placing sixth place in 100 meters. And I went back to Fort, back to Fort Bragg, and I says, um, "I was wasn't treated very well because they didn't like athletes in the army back then, especially in my outfit. He was second airborne." And uh, so I went to Austin Candidate School. Uh, I had to get a waiver to get in Austin Candidate School. And I passed the test, got to Austin Candidate School, graduated. And I was sent to Vietnam. I was in Vietnam uh, and they pulled me out of Vietnam after about six months and for the train for the 1968 games. And that's when I made the 1968 team at age 31 years old. Wow. I got to ask because I've been watching this, these TV show, these programs on Netflix. I got to ask. Are you vegan or vegetarian? No. Okay. No, <laughs> just, no. No, no. My wife is. And my wife is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you look at some of the pictures of mine, I, wait, did you see any of that uh, Arlene sent you? I, had, I, had, I really had a beautiful body. <laughs> <laughs> I worked out. I mean, I had muscles everywhere. I mean, so how, I had how to work. did you learn how to run that fast then? Because it doesn't sound like you really had any formal training other than running from the bar to the house. I mean, is it natural? Is it just a, I mean, were you just kind of born with it? Well, yes, I was, I just, I didn't know I had that natural speed. You know, I, I when I was a kid, I knew I could run fast, but I didn't know I had the natural speed, but I had to work on making that speed faster and better. And that's why I did a lot of weight training upper okay. body strength and, and my hamstrings and my quads. And, and I just worked and I trained and I, and, and I set world records in the 50 yard, the 60 yard, the 70 yard dash and the hundred meters. And, and I was getting better and better. So in like 1968, so, so many kids these days are spending their times in their cell phones, smoking marijuana, drinking alcohol. I mean, yes. what, what do you, what is your, you're talking, you're traveling around the world. You're, you're talking to young people. What do you say to them about how to maybe change their lifestyle to accommodate achieving dreams or just even having a better life? What do you say to that? Well, I tell them, I said, you know, we live in the greatest country in the world, America, even though we have our problems, you know, we have problems with discrimination in this country. You're always going to have that because of the color of your skin. I'm telling you that. And I know for a fact it's going on right now. But I tell them, if you can be anything you set your mind to, you can be anything. You just be, have to persevere. You have to set goals for yourself. You have to work hard to reach those goals. Because nobody gives you a damn thing in this country, in the world. You have to go out and get it. You have people help you along the way. But you have to work. And you have to be better than the person next to you, the better person in the starting blocks. When I get in the start, got in the starting blocks, I had to be some of the best runners in the world. So I had to train to beat those guys. I had to train. I didn't have to just sit back and say, I'm going out today and I'm going to beat this guy. We're not doing my background work and training. I was going to beat those guys. And all these, most of these guys were in five, nine, six feet, six, two, and I'm only like five, six. Wow. So I had to get out of the starting blocks. I had the fastest start in the world from the starting blocks. If I didn't get out of the starting blocks, I wasn't going to beat anybody. So that's what I worked on hard every day, getting out of those, uh, working the reaction to the gun when that gun went off to come out of those blocks as fast as I did. Wow. 
And that's how I began. That's how I set those world records. You have and, a, um, you have a motto. You say, "To whom much is given, much is required." What does that mean? Right. What does that mean? Potential. You know, you everybody. We have. You know, we all have have uh, hidden uh, talent. Okay, and we all have potential. And if you if you get out there, if you get out there and 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 and, and search out those potentials you have that you have, and I didn't know I could run until I was twenty five. Right? Mm-hmm. There's other people who could have music potentials. They have dancing potentials. They have uh, uh, speaking potentials. They that if you don't if you if you don't work on that, and you find out you have those gifts and those you got to you work on those goals. And I work on those gifts that God's given you. God gave me the gift to run. And I didn't know, like I said, he gave me those gifts. And, and I had, the, and I didn't know that until I actually was 25 years old. How so I worked towards those goals. people who know they have some potential, who feel in their heart that they could be better or bigger or do things different, but they, they have people who are holding them back or, or circumstances like maybe, maybe they have a young child that they're, you know, responsible to, or they have a spouse who's unsupportive, or they have parents who don't support their, what they want to do. What, what advice do you have for that? You know, I went through that in my marriages, you know, I had, I, I had marriages that they tried to destroy my reputation because who I was and I was outgrowing them. I had to get beyond that. I know I had to say, Hey, wait a minute. You know, I'm, I'm not going to let this destroy my abilities and my, and my talent to be a person I always dreamed to be. And I, and I went through, you'd be surprised at what are some things I went through. I always wanted to have a family. And that's why I got married so many times. And I finally found the right person. And this wonderful lady I'm married to right now, God had sent her to me. And, and the women that I was married to, I guess, you know, they, they were really nice, attractive women. Um, maybe some, you know, some of them came, came from, came just like me. I came from the ghetto. I came from nothing. In other words, I mean, when I say nothing, I, you know, I had to work my I, I had to work my way up to, to be the person I am today. I had to observe things around me and watch how people talk and how people walked and how people presented themselves. I used that. As my grandfather said, observe everything around you. He, as he said, read. He said, be the best that you can be. All those things that my grandfather taught me, I paid attention to everything he said. And I went out there and I used that. And some of the people that I was married to didn't do that. They were still in that little world, you know, want to be, they, they wanted to be better than me. In other words, they hated who I was and, and the success that I was, I was getting. And they wasn't going in that same direction that I was going mm-hmm. because they sit back on their behinds and didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them didn't. The first one didn't. They didn't go back to school. Uh, the second one, just that person wanted to be somebody else. And the third one, I never should have married. <laughs> they, they were just very pure, <laughs> you know, they were insecure because of who I was. I worked for the line of hawks. And when I was married to this lady, she, this, this person came from just 
from like I did, came from the projects and but smart. Had gone to college to, uh, to be a chiropractor, but just so insecure. You know, you know, how could you not have something? You you put a person in a five hundred thousand dollar home and you buy them nice clothes and cars and and and. A beautiful life, and they do things to destroy that that relationship. I mean, what do you do? You you move on. So I had to move on for my relationships, and 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 until I met the lady that I'm with now, I met her in in the church parking. I'm gonna let her tell you that. I'm she's right here. Tell her how we met, sweetheart. Well, Michaela, you know your your program is about happiness. It is, (laughs) and this. When we both found true happiness. I love that. Because he was not searching and I wasn't either. And it just was such an appointed moment in time to meet him. I had just come back from England where I was a missionary and a, and a, and a minister over there. And I came to Atlanta and I said, you know, I've got to start ministry here. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to go to this church and visit And then he came along, and little did we know that in the moment that we shook hands in the parking lot, that it would be such a connection, and the next thing you know, a year later, we're getting married, and it it has never stopped. The happiness, the love, the energy between us is just um, our soulmates, you know, and that's why, you know, we talk about it. We talk about hope. Because there is hope. If you stop and you just let everything be and you go on and do all the things that you're supposed to do in your life, God has a plan of bringing that about. You just never give up that hope. Hmm. And we never did. Melvin is um, 20 years my senior, and I never looked at him as being older. I looked at his heart. I don't look that old either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He was really cute in that parking lot, let me tell you. (laughs) I love that. I I love that it all circles around the idea that, you know, stuff's going to get tough. There's going to be, there's going to be, you know, left turns on your right path. And, and if you just hope, just kind of allow, then, then things are going to unfold as they're supposed to, as long as you're working hard. I love that. I just love. Michaela, you know, I, I, when I met Debbie, Marriage wasn't even in my vocabulary. I was never going to get married again. And, I, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And, and I, like I said, I always want to have family. I want to always have someone to love. I was, the women I was married to, I built these beautiful homes for them, five, 6,000 square feet homes on lakes. And, you know, I, you know, I always had good jobs. I was making great money, you know, working for the Atlanta Hawks and the National Football League and had my own companies. and. And I could afford to do that, you know, to give them a different life, a life that they, they never had dreamed of having. And but when I met Debbie, it wasn't about what I had, how much money I had. You know, it wasn't how much, you know, I had just got I had a company in Africa at the same time she was over in, over in England in Africa. And and, I, you know, it was like. God said, this is the woman for you. When we touched hands and we shook hands. In that parking lot and leaving church. I knew she was the one that God had sent to me mm. for I can be, for I could be happy for the rest of my life. And it's communication. You know, if you're in love with someone, you have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to, 
how to give and, 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 and take. You know, we, we don't have arguments. You know, we might have a little disagreements, but then we might say, uh, okay, uh, let's argue. <laughs> let's have a fight. You know what I mean? I love that. <laughs> and we start laughing. You know, it's, it's not about that because nothing's perfect, you know, and, and if you love someone, you, you, ought, you ought to be able to learn how to communicate and change those. When you do get those in those little uh, uh, moments of, 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 of disagreement, you have to learn how to, how to, how to work those agreements out. Mm-hmm. I'm not going anywhere. I told her that. And I said, she says, I'm not going anywhere either. So, you know, we just love each other. We just love each other from, from the bottom of our hearts. And, and we love people. I, I and, love and- I love that you say you're not going anywhere. I, you know, as a, as a psychotherapist, I see couples that are, you know, in kind of the throes of separation and things like that. And and um, one of the saddest things is that they don't commit those words to each other. You can get through a lot if you know that other person. And uh, mm. when the other person starts wavering or is, you know, looking for the easier route away, then I think that's when things start to really unravel and fall apart. And I think that's true of probably a lot of life experiences, not even just relationships. You know, when we, when things get tough and we, we start to look for, okay, what's, what's going to make me feel less uncomfortable than I feel right now? What's going to be easier? That's when we, we find off our right life path, I think. Well, you know, you, you don't go looking for love. (laughs) <laughs> love has to come to you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't look for it. It comes. Relationship just comes. It don't, you know, I, I know guys say, oh, let's go, let's go out to the, meet somebody at the bar. Let's go, let's go meet this. A girl's ladies go and do the same thing. They go to these bars and places and, and uh, they, they get, on, get online and, and they, they order love. They that order. never works. I, <laughs> you can't order love <laughs> like a burger. <laughs> right. Home delivery. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the way to find true love. If if you some if you meet somebody, it's going to be there. You're going to know. You will know that that person is for you. That you will know that. And 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 in my relationships, you know, I always treated my ladies, my ladies that I dated, with 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 nothing but respect. And and if if some guys today, I don't know what things that I see. I don't I don't know what's wrong with some guys today, man. They, and some women some the guys they pick. And I, I don't know what is wrong with some of these beautiful women. They pick some of the guys with the pants hanging down and you no. Know, <laughs> is, is it desperate? Yeah, I, I don't know. I see it all the time. And it is mind blowing. That's for sure. I, you know, raising a young son, I'm, I'm really hopeful that both his father and I are able to show him, you know, um, the right or the healthy way anyway, maybe there's no right way, but the healthy way to be in a relationship and, and what to look for. I hope it's not so easy, but I hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, That's right. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to ask what advice do you who are afraid to take risks. Obviously, you know, uh, joining the military was a risk for you. Um, and then being transferred to Korea, then, then re-enlisting and, and going to Vietnam, um, uh, making the first step to go to Tokyo in 1964. And then again, um, what advice do you have for people who are just afraid? They're, they're just scared that maybe they're not capable or, or worthy or that they can. What advice do you have for that? Well, you know, I talk to a lot of young, young men, Young boys, I call them boys. They're young men when they when they get 17, 18 years old. You know, 
And I, I asked him, they working at, I asked him, do you want to work at Burger King for the rest of your life? McDonald's? Or you want to be a security guard? Or you want to wash cars or drive trucks? I said, why don't you go in the military? Oh, you know, I'm not going to the military. I'm not going to fight nobody's war. I said, you're not fighting anybody's war. I said, if you go in the military in the right field, you can, you can get a, you know, you can get a trade and you can come out in this, in this world and make big money. Like my, like my, uh, my nephew he came in the Air Force and he worked for Lockheed's right now. He's making, been out 20 years making great money and plus got his retirement pay. And plus he learned a trade when I was in there. But uh, I just give him advice that you have to take chances in life. You know, you have to get an education in life. You have to get a trade. If you don't go to college, everybody don't, don't, don't need to go to college. I mean, if you're not uh, uh, qualified to go to school, college, you can always say take a trade, which I, I advise a lot of young men and women to take, get a great trade today because you can get, make great money on a trade. You get in the right one. Um, but you have to take chances. You have to set goals and, and you can't wait for somebody to give you something. You know, a lot of young men out there on the street selling drugs, they think it's the easy way. They end up in jail. You know, we find a lot of young ladies out there prostituting and, and think that's the way. Uh, I don't know where it's from. The, you know, it could be from the family. Um, being, uh, I, I see young a, mother. I see a lot of young kids these days that have this ins- insane uh, sense of entitlement, you know, that they're owed a cell phone, a new iPhone excess at the age of 16 and things like that. And, you yeah. know, straight out the gate, their yeah. first job, they mm-hmm. want to make, you know, $5 an hour over minimum wage kind of thing with no experience, yeah. that kind of stuff. Right. Um, right. right. Now, I was getting to that because they do. They think they want the easy way out. And like I said before, nobody gives you nothing in life. You have to earn everything you get in this world. But if you listen and observe and what, you know, I, I, made, I made money by listening to people. I'm like in real estate. I listened to someone. One day some guy said, don't, what, do you, what, what do you live? I said, I live a certain place. He says, don't sell your property. Don't say, because they're going to come in here. They're going to they're gonna actually buy that, that area out. You know, I went back and told all Everybody I knew in my neighborhood, don't sell your property. That was like two years before they came in there. Do you know they were selling their property for little or nothing? Mm. Because they wanted that quick money. You mm. know what I mean? They, mm. they never had money before. They wanted that quick money. And they even sold something to me, you know? And I made a lot of money, you know? But they don't take the advice. They don't listen. Listen, my grandfather used to say. If you listen and observe things around you, you can, you can be successful in this country. You live in a, like I said, we live in the greatest country in the world. The military gave me that opportunity to be the person. Even though I went through a lot, if you read my book, one devastating thing that happened to me was at West Point Military Academy. When I went there after Vietnam, I got assigned there after my second tour. When I retired, they didn't want to give me the job because of the color of my skin. And they said it. You're not ready for a black head coach. I was the interim coach, assistant coach, but that one thing bothered me. Uh, and it was a big stink at West Point. I don't know if you ever heard anything about it, though, about me not getting that position there. But, but I had to go on. I didn't sit back and cry about it. It hurt me. I still think about it. And I, it will live with me for the rest of my life. But I had to move on. You know, I got in the Army and opened an athletic shoe store. Uh, I, I designed a track shoe for Mitre, for Miter company, a shoe company called Miter. First jogging track shoe they ever had. I worked for the NFL. I worked for the NBA. Tell me a little bit about your time working for the NFL and the NBA. What was the pressure like there? 
intense. Um, what do you think well, about the my NFL job was today fun. versus then? Well, I work for the NFLPA. That's the Players Association. I did I did some accounts for disadvantaged youth. Uh, we call it the Vocational Exploration Program. We brought disadvantaged youth out of youth out of the uh, out of the projects and dis dislocated. I mean, disadvantaged areas, and we took them to a college setting, and we ran it like a city. Vocational Exploration Program. We had a bank. We had stores. We had stores. We had a radio station, a TV stations, and we had athletes, professional athletes. They came in as counselors, and we have professional people in those fields that taught these, these kids how to run a store, wow. how to be on the radio, how to be on television. Wow. And a lot of these, you'd be surprised, a lot of these kids have master's degrees now. Wow. Or they have their own business. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you asked a question. I, I'm going to just circle back around as to what you would tell these people that have low self-esteem and and feel like they can't accomplish anything. It's really about who are you listening to? You have to change the self-talk in your mind. Oh, I love that. You have to begin, and you have to begin to speak it out. Faith is action. So, you know, once you have something that you are dreaming for, you got to start speaking it out and you got to start believing it because if you don't, then you won't get there. So um, that. that was one of the things that I wanted to, you know, interject because I know that, Coming on the first of the year, people are making goals, but it really starts in your mind. So with Melvin, you know, he, he, he has accomplished so much, but his, his talk, his self-talk has always been, I can do this. Mm. I can achieve this. And so, you know, I, I think that um, I just wanted to add that to the story. And I tell I kids, that. never especially, say I can't. Yeah, especially when I take, that, people I take are. that out of your vocabulary. Never say I can't, because you can. You can do anything. God said that. You can overcome anything. You can do anything. You can overcome anything. And that was a great sermon we saw heard two weeks ago, uh, overcoming. Mm -hmm. And you can overcome. I've had seven operations, just got out of the hospital, like, just, I, I would say uh, almost a month ago, leukemia. I have leukemia. And I had to get um, chemo. Oh, my. And, you know, it's, 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 it's. It's a thing that you, you, you give your faith in God, and I lay there in pain and, and, and agony, but prayers brought me through it, mm. brought me through all, all the stuff that I've gone through, all these operations I've had. And, and having a wife next to me, you know, to comfort me and, and pray for me, you know, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair right now. Wow. Some of the things I've gone through. Wow. I love that. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I love that. So, so what is it? It just kind of in summary, what what is it about your life, about being an Olympian? What have you learned the most? Um, I mean, it sounds to me like it's to listen. Um, but what's your perspective on that? Um, being an Olympian um, was wonderful. In other words, when I say wonderful, it was great that I could accomplish that higher goal and that I set for myself to be an Olympian and be one of the fastest men in the world. Uh, accomplishing, accomplishing, accomplishing all the things that I accomplished, uh, setting those goals and making my parents, and like I promised, proud of me, going to college, you know, and getting an already college uh, uh, degree and 11 Hall of Fames and 
you know, it's hard. You asked me that question, and I'm trying to put it all in uh, to, to, to close it out to say that all the things that I have accomplished in my life has been with the grace of God. And, and also with the hard work and dedication that I had to put into it to get where I was at, to be there when I was trying to do all these things. At my age right now, I'm still out there mm. trying to accomplish some goals, to help people, to help young people, to, to get them to read my book, to get them to understand the, the hardship that I went through in order to be the person I am today. If you read that book and you see some, that, oh, that's not all of it. I mean, if you look at there, I've been around the world. I met great people. But if you look, read that book and you see, he did this, he did all of that, he was this. I didn't know I did all of that because I was moving so fast. Hmm. God had me on a mission. You know, I know he had me on a mission because, you know, to come out of Vietnam twice and, and to do all the things that I did and, and um, to accomplish all the goals that I set for myself, it was all God in my life. It was all God in my life. And my wife wants to say something. So if anyone is interested in finding out more about Melvin, they can always buy a book on Amazon or through Barnes & Noble. Um, it's called Expression of Hope, The Mel Pender Story. And we are working on a launch coming up in the near future of our website. Um, we have a program that uh, we want to get our leg his legacy into all of the libraries in the country. Nice. So we're working on a program to where people can buy a book and we'll put their name on it and put it in the library. Um, we also have a military program because we want to give back to the military, the men that and women that are out there, you know, in the different countries. And so we decided that we've got a military campaign. We're going to do, we're going to work with the USO this next year when they're coming back for Christmas and hand them a package with the book in it. And whatever other sponsors want to put in the book. But, you know, that is that is our goals this year. And I just wanted to interject that they can they can reach us at expressionofhope62 at gmail.com. And we'd love to talk with them. We'd love to communicate. I love that. Well, Mel, Debbie, thank you guys so much for coming on today to talk all things listening, hope and happiness. And I will put all the links to the Expression of Hope book as well as your email in case anybody wants to get in touch with you in the show notes. So right. I hope we want to thank you. We want to thank you Aww. for getting us on this show. We want to thank Arlene. I mean, she is unbelievable. The greatest lady on earth. <laughs> <laughs> she was really fabulous to work with. I have to say. <laughs> we really enjoy her. And, you know, she's got such a passion for retired athletes. And because, you know, once you're retired, they think that you're out of the picture. You're not. You've got so much to add to, you oh, know, the next generations. Absolutely. So much to share. It's so true. I love that. I just love it. I love it so much. Um, well, thank you guys so much for being the first cast of the new year in the second season of BU Find Happy. Um, so inspirational, all the things you've done. And I'm so excited to share your story. Thank, thank you, you so much. Have and a happy new year. You too. Bye-bye. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.